Welcome to Wildwood College Life of Wildwood Community Church in Norman. We are four following Jesus together to the glory of God. We meet on Sunday mornings at 9.45 for Bible teaching, breakfast, and fellowship, and would love to see you there this week. Follow us on Instagram at Wildwood College for more information. And with that, let's dive into this week's message. Well, good morning. Glad to be here with you, as Lacey said. About once a semester, Kevin and I try to jump into each other's uh, spaces and share with ministries, recognizing that there's a lot of overlap. We function as a team. We office together. There's a lot of a lot of things that we get to do together, Kevin and I and the college and student ministry team. And so partnering our ministries, even in this little way, means a lot on both sides. I'm so excited to be here with you and to be concluding this series, False Gods Today, yes. And as we get started, I'm going to introduce myself and my family here in a second, but I get to talk about the idol of control. And I just want to share briefly that the Lord has been teaching me about this even this morning because I got a, I got a FaceTime from my wife about like 15 minutes ago because in the basement I don't get phone calls because we're in a dungeon here. And she called me in a panic with my two daughters in the car saying, the car isn't starting this morning. And I'm looking at my watch thinking, how much time do I have? Can I get the three minute drive home and then three minutes drive back while picking them up and make it in here in time to be here with you? And as I was walking out to my car, I got a follow up phone call from her. Hey, the car has started. You're good. You can walk back inside. But even in that moment, just to be reminded that, that God is in control of all things. Like, and, and we may need that reminder as we get started, right? We are in a, a bit of a crazy part of the year, and the simple reminder that God is in control, even in the moments when we hold on with the tightest grip that we possibly can. No matter what, God is in control. So let's pray to that God, thank him for that, and then we'll get started. Heavenly Father, oh, we praise you for who you are that you are a God that we can count on, that we can trust, a God that is for us and not against us, Lord. No matter what journey we might be on this morning, I just pray that today would be a reminder that you are the God who is in control, that as, as much as we can cling to control in our lives, you are the one who is unfailingly in control. And we so often fall short, but we can have hope and joy and peace because of our connection to you. So let us feel that this morning and all that's going on, all the busyness of finals and end of semester, holiday season. Help us to rest in you and in your control. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, so, like Lacey said, my name is Abe Maynard, and I'm the student pastor. Actually, Kevin and I, fun fact, Kevin and I started just a few months apart here at Wildwood. I just celebrated five years here at Wildwood as a part of the student ministry team. Kevin will be celebrating five years in just a couple months. And so it is, Norman was not home before. I grew up in Northeast Kansas, graduated from seminary, and then was applying to jobs. And the Lord had given us as much clarity to say, hey, you're not going to be home anymore. We didn't know what that meant, but we applied to a, a number of churches, made a visit to Wildwood and quickly realized that this is where we hoped our new home would be. And luckily that was the door that the Lord had opened. And so transplanted Normanite, but 
am so thankful for Norman and for Wildwood uh, and hope that if Norman is not home home for you, that you get to feel that too. Just that this is a good place with good people. And so anyway, so this is my family. So my wife, Corey, and then we have two, two girls. Eleanor, who will be four in, uh, next month. Ooh. And then we have an almost two-month-old named Lila. And so uh, if I have bags under my eyes, it's because I have a newborn in my house. You'll have to forgive me, but I promise I will try not to doze off. So that's my family. If you see Eleanor around, there's a good chance that she's singing Let It Go or some other Disney mashup with her own lyrics. You should meet her. She's pretty great. Lila, we're still, personality, we'll see. We haven't gotten there yet. But, so that's my family. And I, I lead our 6th through 12th grade ministry. We call it Wildwood Students. And just by a show of hands, how many of you have been involved in Wildwood Students in, in any form? Wednesday nights, events, lots and lots of you. And we are so thankful for each of you that has given time or energy, commitment to the ministry. So, anyway. Enough, of, enough about me. Today, as I said, we're wrapping up this series called False Gods Today. And if you haven't been here or haven't gone to listen to the other three messages that have been a part of this series, I would strongly encourage you to go check out Wildwood, Wildwood College Life on Spotify. Go listen to those messages. And this is not me doing a shameless plug because it's not my podcast. But this series, I was excited when Kevin asked if I wanted to speak. Last time he had me speak on death. So idols is like a vast improvement. But I was excited because when I was in your seat, I, the conversation about deep idols or root idols was transformative for me. Maybe your story is like mine. I grew up in the church, was a part of the church as long as I could remember. And what I knew about idols is that you, it's just not something you should have in your life. And I would spend more time than I would like to admit praying to the Lord, hey, Lord, take this from me. Or I would rather not struggle with this. And it was, this was the tension with idolatry in my life. Like this, I know it's here and I'm just asking the Lord to take it away. Or I'm like trying to, to put together little gimmicky things in my life to try to rid them, I get rid of them out of my life. And I was, I remember when I first heard this idea of root idols or deep idols, I was driving to a church that I was serving at and listening to a sermon and they begin to talk about the fact like, hey, you could struggle with all these surface things and struggle with them endlessly and feel like it's a battle that you can't win. But it's because what you actually are struggling with is idolatry that's deeper within you that there's a rooted idolatry in your life. And the four categories of those, approval, power, comfort, and control. These root deep idols that every single one of us, we, we have each of these in our lives, but at play in the life that we live. And this was so significant, not to like, oh man, now I don't have any idols in my life, but to understand something about my brokenness, that the surface sin wasn't the, the main issue. Yes, there's behaviors that needed to change, but there was a heart that was broken and worshiping the wrong things. A definition that was used over the last couple of weeks, an idol is anything that becomes an ultimate thing that is not God. 
anything that becomes an ultimate thing. It includes a lot of good things, right? And we'll, we'll share about some of those good things that we can worship without maybe even recognizing it. A theme verse that has been a part of this series, Ezekiel 14, 3, Son of man, these leaders have set up idols in their hearts. They have embraced things that will make them fall into sin. Over the last couple of weeks, Mike and Kevin have done a great job of establishing what idols are and walking and preparing you for conversation about idolatry. And so I'm not going to spend a ton of time actually talking about what idolatry is. Um, Today, I just want to answer kind of two simple questions. Simple. Um, What is the idol of control? Give you a few minutes to discuss um, some thoughts connected to that. And then what do we do about the idol of control? I want it to just be really practical as we look at this deep root idol of control. Now, as we get started, your mind might be where mine was. How many of you... You just have to be a little bit bold here. How many of you would like put yourself kind of in like a control freak kind of like, you know, I just like I like to be in control. Like, yeah, that's I just yeah, yeah, yeah. Or maybe in a category of I just okay, I'm not a control freak, Abe. Don't put that on me. But I I'm just a little bit particular about some things. Okay, is that you? Maybe. All right. And and this is where I was as I began to think through this message and this deep root idol like because I if you know me I would like to think that I'm pretty laid back pretty flexible I was like great I'm gonna go talk about control and really tell them how to navigate this idol and then as I began to study I realized that there was a little bit of conviction building up in me right yeah I might be I might be somebody who's a little bit laid back I might not put myself into the category of super particular or control freak or whatever title you want to use might be, you might use a kinder title, but I think every single one of us will find that in our heart, there is worship for control, holding on to our life and trying to manage our life in the way we want it to go, okay? So that's what we're going to look at a couple of examples of today. And so we're going to Exodus 32. We've already opened up there. And up to this moment, uh, sorry to our, our small student, small group leaders, Uh, because we're going through the book of Exodus. We haven't made it here yet, so you have no advantage over everyone else. Uh, But up to this point, we've got Moses born, called by God to rescue the Israelites from Egypt, where they were in slavery. Uh, You know how the story goes with the 10 plagues, let my people go. Pharaoh eventually, after the Passover, releases the people of Israel. As they make it to the Red Sea, he decides to pursue them. The Red Sea is parted, they make it across, okay? So we've got some like big things that have taken place in the book of Exodus. They then have been on a journey. So we've got following the pillar of cloud and fire, manna from heaven, quail in the wilderness. And at this point, we have Moses on Mount Sinai receiving the law. Okay, that's what's taking place. And um, most of the chapter, a bunch of chapters right before this are that scene. But we kind of jump cut to, uh, to the people of Israel at the foot of the Mount, Mount Sinai with Moses receiving the law, and this is what takes place. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered together to Aaron and said to him, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. 
As for this, Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So Aaron said to them, take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons and your daughters and bring them to me. So all the people took off their rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a, a graving tool and made a golden calf just a pause there. This is how my brain works. I really hope that Aaron was not good at making things out of gold and it was just this janky calf, right? Like just like one eye a little bit higher than the other. Doesn't matter at all to our understanding of scripture, but it would be awesome. And they said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, verse five, he built an altar before it, and Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down for your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. So this is a, a story that is super familiar and has been mentioned almost every week of this series. Just, hey, it's not like when we talk about idolatry, it's not the setting up of something so much in the world that we live in. We're not creating a golden calf in our house. But that was kind of all that was mentioned about it. As we talk about control, I think there's a really interesting heart posture that takes place in this passage. Because here you have the people of Israel who have just seen God do all of these incredibly miraculous things. They've made it to Mount Sinai. There's a cloud with lightning up at the top of the mountain and Moses has been consumed up into that cloud. And they're at the bottom. And where does their heart turn? It's not happening on our timeline. It's not happening in the way that, that we had hoped things would happen. Like, what if Moses is up there and, like, he's dead? So we should probably take care of this ourselves. And what's interesting is I don't know that, at least for Aaron, this golden calf was to represent a different god. Over and over, there's this reference to Lord, all caps, if, it, if your Bible references. Oftentimes, that means it's the word Yahweh. So I think there was this kind of hybrid attempt. We're going to control this moment, but we know we still need to be worshiping God. And what that led to was we're going to create something to represent God the way we want him to be represented. And that is what we will worship. And as we think about this kind of control within your heart, I hope we all feel a little bit of weight there. Because we've almost all been in moments where Life has been happening and God's timing hasn't been exactly what we hoped for or what we had played out. The expectations that we had laid out just didn't quite, they weren't quite met. And our heart goes to a place, well, maybe if I just take care of this for God, maybe if I just set, set this up, I'll still worship him, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take care of some things for him. This is the idol of control. Make us gods who shall go before us. The Israelites in some ways seem like they were thinking about creating a separate God. But this is their, their call to, to Aaron. They don't, like not even a greeting, up. Make for us 
gods who shall go before us. This idol is created, and interestingly, this is not the type of thing that you create in a day. This was probably a couple weeks of creating this idol, and Moses was only on the mountain for like a month and a half. So the timeline, even for how long Moses was gone, was pretty short. They pretty quickly turned their hearts to, let's create this thing for ourselves. Okay? So here we have this moment. They sit down to eat, drink, and rose up to play. They celebrated in their idolatry, taking things of God into our own hands is the idol of control. Just a couple categories for us as we think about what this looks like. Idol of control. We can take relationships into our own hands. The way that we, the way we navigate them. Or I know as I look at my past, I, I am ashamed of the fact that there were multiple times I would talk to people just because it was nice to have somebody, right? I can't be alone in that. Just like, I, I just am going to control this enough to have my life closer to the position I want it to be in. I set my future, idol of control. School, controlling your grades. And maybe you're on one, maybe like there's two, two spectra, like two ends of the spectrum here. You have the, like, I don't care about school at all. And so I'll just do whatever I need to to get a good grade, whether it's what I should do or not. Or I dedicate all of my time to school to control my grades by giving everything I have to it. And both of these are representatives of our heart saying, I'm going to take care of this. Like there's no room for God in either of those spaces, right? Not that school is bad in any form. Like we said, these are good things. Sin patterns. I need to control the way I feel. I make my own worth. And then like the Israelites, even the gods we worship, I decide what God looks like and does. And we don't do that with images or creating things so much anymore. But oftentimes I think we can say, well, this is what God should be like. So that's what I'm going to allow him to be rather than to let him himself tell us who he is and how he works. This is the idol of control. And each and every one of us has this at play in our hearts. And uh, it's such a, an interesting thing to process. The sin, is not, the sin is not normally in what we want, but how we want it. We take these good things and twist them. Sometimes the idol of control manifests itself and life only matters or only has a meeting if, it's, if it goes according to my plan. The Israelites ask questions like, is, is God really in control? What if God overlooks us? What if Moses is dead? What if he isn't worried about our needs? And we could take those same questions and ask them of ourselves as we think about this idol of control. So here's a few discussion questions to, to begin processing. What is the idol of control? What does it look like in our lives? What is, just answer these three, what is the idol of control seen in Exodus 32, 1 through 8? And then read Genesis, a couple verses out of Genesis 15 and 16. This is Abraham and Sarah and the promise of a son. How is control seen in these passages and in what ways do you see the idol of control in your life? All right. 
I'm going to interrupt your perfectly productive conversations. I'm sorry. All right. We are... You'll have, you'll have a few more minutes. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. We'll have a few more minutes to discuss here in a moment. So we've, we've talked about what is the idol of control, and now I want to answer the question, how do we address the idol of control? What, how, do we, how do we go about, the word that I'm going to use is shatter, because it fits with the imagery, right? How do we take these, these deep-rooted idols in our lives, and how do we go about shattering them? I think, I hope, that as you looked at the story of Abraham and Sarah and their promised son, you, you see an interesting parallel to what takes place with the Israelites, right? What were some of the things that stood out? Just a little bit of, of feedback. Take a few of your, your thoughts. Some of the th things that stood out in thinking about the idol of control and the story of Abraham and Sarah. Yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah, very clearly, this example. And Abraham goes from, Lord, we trust you, we believe, to like, you turn the page, and all of a sudden the story changes, right? Anything else stand out beyond that? I mean, that's like the heart of it. So as we talk about uh, shattering the idol of control, uh, I think it's interesting first to address the, the reality that, that God is the one who's in control and to truly conquer this idol of control in our life is to accept the fact lean into the fact that God is the one who's in control at all times. Now, when we look at what we believe about God, for almost all of us, that is not something that we question. We don't sit here and question whether or not God is the God who's in control. It's a little bit like my, my daughter, Eleanor. She loves when we end up at a store that has these shopping carts, right? <laughs> She hops in. Like the first time, she was confused about why the steering wheel wasn't turning the car. But pretty quickly, she realized this is just about like being a part of the car that is like awesome and I'm along for the ride. And I think oftentimes we recognize that this is kind of what control looks like. Yeah, we get into the seat and we like steer, but we know that God's in control. We know he's the one that's really in control. And so what is it about the idol of control that actually we run into in our lives? Here's what I think it is. We know God is in control, but we don't trust that he's for us. We know that God is in control, but we don't trust that he is for us. We've seen this in the story of the Israelites. Hey, we've seen the Lord do all of these things all of these incredible things. And we know there's something happening on the mountain. But what if that's not for us? Abraham and Sarah have been promised a child and they get to this moment where they go, well, maybe, maybe what God really wants for us is for us to take control. We know God is in control, but we don't trust that he is for us. This is where we run into the idol of control in our hearts. Not because we question who, who created all things, who's in charge of all things, but because we allow ourselves to say, maybe, maybe he's working in somebody else's life right now and I need, to, I need to step into the driver's seat for a moment. 
So what does it look like to combat this reality of the idol of control? I've got four simple questions that I think we could ask ourselves that will remind us of who God is, and in that, put us in position to shatter the idol of control. And my, I, I will preface this. It's not, okay, you start asking these questions automatically. It's not a part of your life anymore. But our goal is to be in pursuit, set our eyes on Jesus, so that these idols capture us less because our worship is toward him. All right? So what are these questions? The first, who is in control? Just simply, let's just, like, claim what is true. Proverbs 19.21, many are the plans of the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. Proverbs 16.9, the heart of a man plans his ways, but the Lord establishes his steps. Who is in control? We don't question this, but we need reminded of this. God is in control. Every part of our lives, every corner of our lives, every step of our lives, it doesn't change who's in control. This qu- answering this question should help us trust God. But that leads us to our second question. Can I trust God? This God who is in control, Psalm 139, 13 and 14, For you formed me, God, you formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. What if that was our prayer every day? Help me, help my soul to know it very well, that your works are wonderful. All of a sudden, this idol of control would find cracks in it. All of a sudden, our eyes and our worship would be to the one who is in control. Psalm 28, 7, this isn't on the screen, but the Lord is my strength and my shield. In him, my heart trusts and I am helped. My heart exalts and my song, I give thanks to him. Can I trust God? As we answer this question in truth, it should put us in a position to surrender to God. Jesus told the disciples, drop your nets and follow me. There was this moment of surrender, giving up the lives that they had to follow Christ. And part of shattering the idol of control is to surrender. Can I connect with God? Is he one that wants to know me, and can I get to know him? Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him, and he with me. Romans 8.26, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Jeremiah 29.12, I know you thought, you thought 11. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. Can I connect with God? As we answer this question, it puts our heart in a position to rely on God. Who is in control? Can I trust God? Can I connect with God? And the final question, is God for me? Romans 8.31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Romans 5, 8, but God shows his love for us. And while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Can God be for us? The Bible over and over answers yes. And the beauty of that answer is it's not because of us. Right? Just just rest in that for a moment. 
It's not because of who you are, what you've done, that makes God for you. You don't have to go about making God for you. It's not about how much control you have. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And if that God who did that for us is for us, then who can be against us? Do you see how these things, as we, if, we, if we took our time during the day to ask these questions of ourselves and truly turn to what God tells us the answers to these questions are, how radically different we would feel about control. No longer would it be about gripping the steering wheel with everything that we have. But Lord, I know that you are taking me where you should. And I know that you're for me. So I'll let you control it. Shattering the idol of control. We often think the idol of control is just being a control freak. But the reality is that each and every one of us subtly lives our lives toward our own gain and must set our eyes on God, the one truly in control. How do we go about combating the idol of control that's deeply rooted in every single one of us? It's about setting our eyes on our worship. This has been the answer every single week, but you can't hear it enough. Setting our eyes and our worship on the one who is truly in control. In the beginning, God created. He has made all things. He sustains all things. He holds all things together. He is sovereign over all things. And praise the Lord that someday he will come to restore all things. This is the God who is in control. And the God we can place our trust in. Rather than turning to and worshiping the idol of control in our own lives. A couple more questions that will actually be on the screen this time. Um, and I hope that you see that these are all connected to the conversation that you've already been having. So keep having that conversation. Are there ways that you struggle to trust God is for you? How can you remind yourself of the work of God? And what does it look like for you to shatter the idol of control? Spoiler alert, God needs to be a part of that. All right.